Let us pray together. Gracious God, in order to participate in your reign, in your kingdom, we first have to be able to see it in this world. And so we ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our eyes and our hearts so that we may see and so our imaginations may be fired. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So back in 1986, a singer named Paul Simon came out with an album called Graceland that quickly became a critical and commercial success. I wore out side one on my vinyl. Do you remember those days when you'd wear out the vinyl on a particular side? Playing his title song about a father and a son on a long road trip to Graceland, the home of Elvis Presley. Give you a little listen here. Just a little taste. I'm going to Graceland, Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee, poor boys and pilgrims with families, and we are going to Graceland. I have come to believe that we both will be received in Graceland. Now, though I was never an Elvis fan, uh, believe me, I was never an Elvis fan, I'm not that old, nor do I have that kind of taste. This song mysteriously took a hold of me. Back then, in 1986, Danette and I were just newlyweds living in Washington, D.C., and I was working for a Lebanese educational foundation. And wouldn't wouldn't you know it, I suddenly found some very good reasons to go visit our Lebanese students in Memphis, Tennessee. (laughs) And so that I, too, could go and make my pilgrimage. Now, I have to tell you that my visit to Graceland itself was a complete and utter disappointment. Total disappointment. Elvis's 23-room mansion reminded me of a funeral home with its gaudy chandeliers, garish art, indoor waterfalls, and velour drapes. Everything was covered with carpet and velour. But Graceland itself, that word picture of this great realm of grace, stuck with me. And over time, Graceland has become for me one of my favorite ways for understanding and seeing and being able to envision the kingdom into which Jesus has invited us all. 
not in a state in Memphis, Tennessee, but a global realm that is totally real and already present for those of us who have eyes to see it. Graceland. Jesus comes to our world proclaiming what is actually an incredibly simple message. Repent and enter into the kingdom of God. Or in other words, defect from the surrounding empire of toxic hatred and racism and greed and violence and migrate into the empire of God where everything is a gift and everyone, as Ashley said, is our neighbor. And Jesus' story today about that unforgiving servant is part of his series of disorienting and startling and sometimes uncomfortable parables. I hope you all felt terribly uncomfortable at the end of today's parable and wondered what on earth I'm going to preach about. These stories and parables are about God's alternate reality. And he knows, Jesus knows, that we first have to be able to see this reality with our eyes, to be able to imagine it in in order for us ever to have a chance to be able to participate in it. So today, our dear friend Peter, he gets things rolling by asking Jesus, how many times do we need to forgive others? No doubt, Peter thinks he's being incredibly extravagant by saying seven. And seven is incredibly extravagant compared to an eye for an eye. But Jesus responds to him and says, no, forgive 77 times. Or if you want to quibble, you can look at the Greek and say, well, actually it may even mean 70 times 7, which means 490 times. But we miss the whole point if we're focusing on the arithmetic. What Jesus is calling for here is a forgiveness that goes beyond all calculation. Grace that has no statute of limitations. Now, Jesus must uh, see the bewilderment and confusion in Peter's eyes. And so, when this happens, Jesus invariably launches into a story. And he tells one about the kingdom of heaven, which he compares to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his slaves. Now what you have to notice right away in this parable of Jesus's is that he uses so much over-the-top exaggeration and hyperbole that his disciples' bewilderment must surely turn into smiling and chucking chuckling. 
laughter at least at the beginning, but probably not at the end. Notice, for example, the magnitude of this slave's debt to the king. 10,000 talents. And what you have to know is that one talent is equal to 15 years of wages. So this is a debt that is so huge that it's going to take him 150,000 years to pay it off. How many of us live that long? Right? So, I mean, Jesus could have just said this guy owed the king a bazillion dollars or a gazillion, and it would have been accurate. Now, the slave does something quite interesting now. He falls on his knees and makes an absurd and completely impossible to keep promise. I'll pay it all back to you, every last dollar. Right. Right. Really? But then... This is where grace suddenly enters the story. Unearned, unmerited, unbelievable, amazing grace. And in one, one stroke, the king wipes this guy's massive, massive debt right off the books. And in our story, how does our just forgiven slave respond? With rapturous thanks? With dancing? With tears of joy? None of the above, right? What this slave receives but never understands is the magnitude of his king's mercy. This servant is stuck in his old, sad world that we often get stuck in of earning and worthiness and merit. Ever get stuck there? He hasn't migrated yet into Graceland, the king's realm of grateful receiving and sharing with others. And so because of this, Jesus' story now takes a very disturbing turn. When the slave walks out of his king's palace and sees someone else who owes him a piddly 100 denarii. Now, if you translate 10,000 talents into denarii, you get 60 million denarii. So he's just been forgiven 60 million denarii. He walks out and runs into someone who owes him a measly 100 and throttles him and grabs him by the throat. And friends, this is what this is what we look like to God when we refuse to forgive. Jesus' parable now comes to an edgy and quite disorienting conclusion with the king handing the slave over for torture until the debt is paid in full. And we know how impossible that will be. And then Jesus says this, So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you 
if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Ouch. You know, uh, forgiveness is one of those things that's uh, pretty easy to preach about and awfully hard actually to do in real life. Amen? All I have to say is a word like infidelity, bigotry, embezzlement, deception, or abuse, and all of us can suddenly and viscerally feel how hard it is to forgive a wrong like that. In fact, each of us probably here this morning has a very particular person in our lives, maybe present or long ago, that we are struggling still to forgive. Who might that be in your life? Jesus' parable, I believe, clearly shows us that I can only forgive and you can only forgive when we are regularly connecting with our huge need for God's grace ourselves. Remember, the servant is forgiven, but he's not connecting with his need for the king's grace. I don't know about you, but I try to pray and connect with God on a daily basis, not because I'm a pious or especially good person at all, but because I need, first of all, to be a recipient of God's grace if I'm ever going to have a prayer to be a channel of it to anyone else. That's why we pray, to receive grace so that we might actually be a channel of it. Otherwise, oh my goodness, we run dry so quickly, don't we? But let me mention one caution here. While extending forgiveness always needs to be our ultimate goal and orientation, there are times when we need to be careful not to forgive too quickly. For example, especially in the church, Forgiveness can never be a shortcut around what Jesus mentions just earlier in this same chapter 18 in Matthew. The hard work of first going directly to each other and addressing the pain that I have caused you and you have caused me in order to regain and restore our relationship. When we don't do that work before forgiveness, we just paper over stuff. Nor can forgiveness ever be used as an excuse to hide or protect harmful behavior. If there has been abuse, we first need to report it. And we first need to protect ourselves and others. Later on, we can get to forgiveness. That's so important, especially in the church, 
because we embody for the world what the kingdom is supposed to look like. All right, you probably notice I've been avoiding that edgy ending. What about that ending from Jesus? You know, you know the first thing I just have to say is you can't read this parable and believe anymore that grace is cheap. It's not. It costs everything of us. It requires much of us. And we, we sense in a very deep way that God wants to extend this grace to the world, especially through us, dare we say, only through us. So why does he say that if we don't forgive, then God won't forgive us? All right, we're there. And by the way, you know, some scholars say, well, you know, Jesus didn't say that. Uh, Matthew stuck that in there. Um, But the problem is he makes the same link in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our sins as, 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 as we forgive those who sin against us. And I don't know about you, but I choke on that every Sunday. And right after that, I say, God, no. It can't be in correspondence. Because isn't that link a complete negation of the whole gospel? That we're able to love because God first loved us? The good news that God forgives us precisely when we least deserve it, isn't it negated? Isn't it a negation of the good news that it's God's continued forgiveness of us that even makes it possible for us to forgive others? I think it's important for us to remember that we must always let one story in the Bible be in conversation with all the other stories and teachings of all of Scripture. This parable must be brought into conversation with all the other parables. So we could have a long conversation about other parables that hold this intention. But still, in my own life, I have experienced a powerful link between how much I forgive others and how much I'm able to receive God's forgiveness. How about you? When I'm nursing a grudge, when I'm I'm angry as all get out, I often notice how God's grace is blocked from flowing into my life. N.T. Wright, the uh, British scholar and bishop, puts it this way. Forgiveness is like the air in our lungs. There's only room for us to inhale the next lungful after we've breathed out the last one. Are you with me? When we insist on holding in that breath and refuse to give the breath of life to somebody else, we're actually preventing ourselves from breathing along the way. 
let me flip that and say that the opposite is true as well. The more we share God's grace with other folks, the more grace we're going to need, the more grace upon grace God is going to give us, and the more we increase our own capacity, our own lung capacity to receive more of that grace ourselves. And that's almost a direct quote from not me, but one of you with whom I had coffee this week. You told me, the more we share grace, God's grace with others, the more you need, the more grace you're given, and the more you increase your own capacity to receive more of it yourselves. In closing, our Lord Jesus, this is hard stuff, isn't it? I see it in your eyes. Our Lord Jesus comes to our world proclaiming a very simple but challenging message. Repent and enter the kingdom of God. Defect, defect from the surrounding empire of toxic hatred and racism and greed and violence, sin and death, and migrate, migrate into God's realm of forgiveness, generosity, and compassion, Graceland. Leave behind your sad old world of earning and merit and being worthy enough to God and enter into God's alternate reality where everything is a gift. Everything is a gift. And everybody's a neighbor. In fact, dear friends, I believe that Jesus is telling us that Graceland is actually the real world. Now, we usually say the opposite. Now, Todd, okay, let's get down to the real world. But Jesus' message is, this is the real world. This is the way things really are. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, God's world without end. So friends, have you have you migrated yet? Have you made your way into this beautiful land of grace? Can you see it? Where the more grace we share, the more grace we need, the more grace upon grace we're given. And the more we're all completely swept up, caught up in God's great cosmic cycle of healing and mercy and redemption. 
And the more we here at East Chestnut can become the church that God really intends. A fellowship of forgiven forgivers. A fellowship of forgiven forgivers. Amen.